It's a pretty strong warning there in Proverbs chapter 4 that Nelson just read for us. Stay away. Do not even go in the path of the wicked. And the wise father who wrote the Proverbs was trying to warn his kids, trying to warn all of us as if we're his children sitting around listening to him, saying, hey, it's a dangerous world out there and you need to watch out. But it doesn't have to go badly for you. You can walk in the righteous path and things get brighter and brighter all the time. It's all about the choices you make. And some of the biggest choices we make are the company that we keep. They reflect a lot about what our values are and what our choices are, what direction we want to go on. And even if sometimes we accidentally stumble into bad relationships, they'll end up dictating a lot if we stay in those paths of the wicked. It's just a fact of life, and you guys know it. I mean, I'll say, you don't have to read the Bible to know this. I was thinking earlier about this. Um, you know, it didn't matter if it was Theo Huxtable, DJ Tanner, whoever. We would learn about this from the TV shows we watched when we were kids. Watch out for those kids. They're doing this and that, you know. And, of course, people talk about this in business. You need to think about the people that you surround yourself with because they're going to impact the direction that your career goes or the way that you make choices about your finances or whatever. This is a pretty patently obvious thing, and it's certainly true when it comes to our relationship with God. Can I show you a couple of passages in the New Testament that hit on this? Uh, the Apostle Paul spoke to the Corinthians about this, actually a pretty good bit. One passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, Paul actually called himself the father of the Corinthians. So it makes sense that he would issue these kinds of warnings to our brethren from a long, long time ago in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's in this discussion about the resurrection. And apparently there were people in Corinth who were saying, no, 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 no. There's not going to be a resurrection from the dead. Or if there is, it's not going to be any kind of, it's not actual a resurrection, which Paul argues, dude. Are you even a Christian? This is our thing. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. So if we don't believe in the resurrection, we don't believe in anything. What are we even talking about? But it's in the midst of this discussion that there's this, I think, for those who are church-going, Bible-reading folks, and maybe even outside of that, it's a pretty famous quote in verse 33, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. Do not be deceived, which means this is an easy thing to get tricked on. Do not be deceived. Bad company or evil company corrupts good morals. Paul says, look, man, don't think you can hang around people who are telling you stuff like Jesus isn't really raised from the dead, all this kind of stuff. And if that's what you're being saturated with in your environment and in your relationships, don't kid yourself and think you can escape and keep on going in the right direction. But I want to point this out. Sometimes this verse gets quoted and it's like for kids, like kids, don't hang around. I don't know. People who do drugs because then you'll start doing drugs. Well, OK, that's a fair point. I'm not I'm not anti that message. But that's not what 1 Corinthians 15 is about. It's about people who have ideas that will permeate your mind and lead you in a different direction ideologically. Now, by the way, a lot of the letter to the Corinthians was about the outgrowth of this. Their views on sexuality, their views on, on marriage, their views on just relationships and how you treat other people were dictated by this false belief. But here's the point. The, the company you keep dictates the way that you think. That's what Paul said. Watch out for that. Don't think that you can avoid that. The people you surround yourself with, their values are going to seep in. Their ideas and ideals are going to get inside and impact your ideas and your ideals. This wasn't the only time Paul said this to the Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Sometime later, when the Apostle Paul wrote uh, his, his, uh, this letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 14, he says this, do not be bound together 
with unbelievers? For what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or what harmony does Christ have with Belial, a false god? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? In other words, would it make sense for God's temple to have idols from other gods? No, absolutely not. And he says, we are the temple of God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't be just saturating yourself, partnering yourself with those who are against God. And do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me. We'll have a special relationship, says the Lord Almighty. And here's the conclusion that Paul gives. Therefore, having these promises, having the promise of God's presence, of being his children, of of all the great things that come with the holiness and the holy relationship that God's people have with him. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Any kind of sinful, evil, wicked, ungodly stuff, you got to get it out of your life. Why? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God, in the fear of God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, some things from Proverbs. It's probably helped me afterwards to kind of emphasize, hey, listen, whenever we talk about the fear of the Lord, we do need to have a degree of, uh, a significant degree of intimidation before God. He's so great and we're so not. He's so perfect and we're so sinful in many respects. All before Christ, obviously we all are. Do we understand how big of a deal our choices are that if we get on the wrong side of God, it's only wrath, it's only destruction, it's only pain and death and darkness. That's what the father in Proverbs 4 is warning us of. If you get on the path of the wicked, if you get on the path that leads away from God, it's only destruction. They stumble and they don't even know why. That's what's going on. That's why Paul says, don't let the bad company corrupt your good morals. Don't let it get inside your head. Don't partner with people who are ungodly, who are against God. Don't have those kinds of connections, those kinds of relationships, because it's just going to lead you away from the holiness, the goodness that comes with God. God is screaming to us all throughout Scripture and all throughout history to watch the company we keep. The Proverbs say a lot about this. Go back to the book of Proverbs. And check out uh, Proverbs chapter 22. We'll just go backwards since we're going back here. Go to Proverbs chapter 22 first. I want you to listen to how the proverb writer, the wise father, speaks to his children, speaks to us about the danger of the company that we may choose to keep. Proverbs 22, beginning in verse 24. Proverbs 22, verse 24. He says, do not associate with a man given to anger or with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Do you hear what he's saying? I mean, I would think this would be, hey, don't hang out with hotheads because they're going to get mad at you eventually and they're going to mess you up. Well, that's true. And he'll talk about that stuff in the project. But actually his point is, if you spend time around these people who have anger or hatred, you're eventually going to, that's going to become normalized to you. And you're going to say, yeah, that is the way to respond. Or that's the way I've got to respond to him. Or you actually it's working out for her. So I should do it too. And then we go out, don't even associate with it because that they're, viewpoint about how to live in the world, their attitude, their spirit is going to be imparted into you. Back up a little bit further to uh, Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 19, Proverbs 20 and verse 19. It says, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. Now here again, be like, hey, y'all know how this goes. If you tell certain people some stuff, you know, it's getting out because they're just talking. They can't hold, help themselves. 
But the point isn't just that your business is going to get out there. If you tell a gossip something, you're going to become that way. That's going to become normalized to you. You will behave like those people, like the company that you keep. One more. Look at Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 20. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says this. He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You might say, well, what's the harm? Is it the fools are going to attack you? Well, yeah. But notice the parallel. If you walk with the wise, then you also will be wise. You walk with the fool. That's what happens. The company we keep is hugely important. This is actually the very first exhortation that the proverb writer gives to his sons, his son, his children in Proverbs chapter one. I'm going to read this. It's actually kind of a lengthy paragraph, but I want us to read and really explore this and, and, and uh, let this thought saturate us. Of all the things, you know, so Proverbs chapter one, verse one through seven, just an introduction. Hey, I'm writing this book. I'm giving these so that you won't be a dummy out there so that you'll know, not just in a, a sort of, oh, I'm so intelligent kind of way, but actually you'll know how to live. You'll know how to do the right thing and avoid the wrong stuff. And you'll be able to be wise out in the world. If you fear God, God's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give that to you. And that's what I'm trying to give you in this book. Great. Let's go. What's the lesson we need to hear, Dad? What do you want to tell us? Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. This isn't just from Dad. This is from Mom and Dad telling you some important stuff here. Indeed, if you listen, these things are like a graceful wreath on your head and ornaments on your neck. You know, that's what you get for winning prizes. At least back, we don't do wreaths so much, but you know, back in the ancient world, that's what you get a wreath to show that you won some sort of competition or prize. You have some sort of garland that hangs around your neck to honor you and show that you, you uh, passed the test. Verse 10, what's the instruction? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let's lie and wait for blood. Let's, let's ambush the innocent without cause. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, the realm of the dead, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of precious wealth. We'll fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We'll all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it's useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. The first thing that the, the father wants us to, to understand, if we're going to be wise people, if we're going to live in God's path, in the path of the righteous, is you got to watch out for the company you keep, son. That's what he tells us. And whenever they, and look, it's, it's not going to, usually they don't come with a sign that says, we're going to ruin your life. That's not how it looks. Notice the enticement of this. And we all, because we've all been here and done this and fallen prey to this and ignored this wisdom. They come and they say, hey, we're going to get some good stuff. We're going to fill our houses. We're going to be filthy rich, man. Come on. And you know what? They, there's an encouragement of some impulse that we have anyways. You know, they, they're not inventing this idea that you might want to jump somebody and attack them and all that kind of stuff. The only reason they present that to you is if there's something that they know there's kind of an appeal here. You're going to get to be powerful. 
you're going to get to mess somebody up for your own gain and your own advantage. And there's going to be no consequences either. Don't worry about any consequences. Not the only consequence is we're all going to be rich and you're going to have a bunch of friends doing it. Come with us. Did you notice how many times the text emphasizes the, the inclusion? You get to be a part of this tribe, man. Like that, that path of the wisdom. Okay, sure. It's bright and lonely out there. Man, you come over on our path. You get to be a part of our tribe. Look, look how many times he talks about um, being with us. Verse 11. If they, if they say, come with us, let us, let us. Verse 12, let us. Verse 13, we will find all this. Again, we will fill our houses. Verse 14, throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. I, I got to say, I think this is the main appeal of any kind of social group, but especially of wickedness. I think most people are like, hey, do you want to beat somebody up and take their stuff? For sure, some people do, but it takes a lot to get to that kind of place. Most people, even people who are really rough, they're like, I don't really want to. Like, I don't think that's really what I prefer to do. You got to really kind of get taken to that place. And usually you get taken to that place by people, whether it's family that influenced you that way or society, what you're seeing in media or what your friends are doing or whatever. But that's really what it's all about. You're becoming a part of something. You're taking on an identity. You're becoming a part of a tribe. And yeah, there's some bad stuff I've got to do to be a part of it, but that's okay because I want to be part of it. The father says to us, don't do that. He says that uh, verse 17, when he talks about this bad stuff, he says, it is useless to spread the, the net in the sight of any bird. And it's like, what are you even talking about, man? Here's what I think his point is. I think his point is, you know what? If you put up a trap that a bird can see, it's not flying into it. But these guys are so foolish that they're hanging themselves. The violence they're exercising toward others, they can't even see that it's going to come back to haunt them. And we know this. I mean, sure, some people get away with doing bad stuff, but eventually it comes back to you. And even if it doesn't come back to you in the form of going to jail or having somebody kill you or you being poor now, you live with that guilt and that burden and that anger. It always comes back to bite you. When you walk in the way of the wicked, it's never going to work out. And he says, son, you got to look and see what's happened to these people. Don't fall into the same trap that they're setting for themselves. It doesn't matter how much gain you may receive, how full your house may be of riches. It doesn't matter that you may actually satisfy some sort of impulse that you've got inside to mess somebody up and to be powerful and strong. And it certainly doesn't matter that you'll be included in their tribe because that tribe is going to be destroyed. Don't fall into this trap. It's the same thing that Paul said to the Corinthians. Those people say it's so silly to believe that a man could come back from the dead. I get it. It kind of does look silly, except that it happened. That's the only reason we don't think it's silly is because it's history. Jesus came back from the dead. But if you keep on being around people and say it's so silly, it's so silly. You eventually be like, yeah, it is pretty silly. I don't think I believe in that stuff anymore. Even though you know the evidence for it. You know that it's true. You know that it's real. You might know, oh, I would never want to worship false gods. I believe in Jesus. I would want, but I am going to go with my friends to the, the temple. But I'm not really, when they bow down, I'm going to bow down. But I'm going to be bowing down to Jesus. They're going to be bowing down to that other false god. He says, look, if you're partnering, you're eventually going to get, get pulled into it because you want to be a part of this tribe, because you want the game that comes along, because there's some sort of impulse inside you that's being satisfied. And he said, and notice how strong he is here. Verse 10, do not consent. Verse uh, verse uh, 14, excuse me, 15, do not walk in the way with them. Now, I know walking usually in the Bible implies your, your lifestyle, right? How you're behaving. 
But I think the point is, even if you're like, oh, I'm not going to do it, guys, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just kind of walk along with y'all. But I'm not going to do it. I, I just don't make me feel kind of icky to beat somebody up and take their stuff. I don't want to do that. He said, you don't even walk in the way with them, man. Don't even get close to that. Keep your feet from their path. Stay away completely. Watch the company you keep. The writer of this, Solomon, uh, knew the danger of other people as influences as well or better than anybody. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon was, he's called in the Bible the wisest man. Jesus even highlights Solomon's wisdom in in his teaching. Of course, in comparison, Jesus was still wiser than Solomon. It's kind of tough to beat uh, God in the flesh, but still... As far as human beings were concerned, God gave Solomon an incredible amount of wisdom. Even if you're not a Bible reader, you've heard of Solomon. You know about him. There's legends about him because he was so wise. I want you to listen to what happened to Solomon, this wise, amazing, godly man at the end of his life. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite women, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. Let me pause before we keep reading. Uh, We say this, it may be clear anyways, but I just want to make sure it's completely crystal clear. We read this like, whoa, why was God so into like ethnic purity? Why couldn't they marry anybody from another nation? What about ethnic purity? There are plenty of people from these nations who actually came to become Jews, who ethnically were Egyptian or Hittite or whatever. But the people who refused to come and worship the true God, the Israelites were forbidden from marrying those people because it wasn't because of their ethnic heritage and God wanted pure ethnic marriages. The reason was because of their religion, because of their gods. That's why it says there that God said, you shall not marry these women from these other nations because they will turn your heart after their gods. Those women wanted to come become God's people. Great. Who cares what their ethnicity is? What mattered is their relationship to God. And that's why it was so dangerous. Solomon, though, apparently thought, it's fine. I'm wise enough. I got divine wisdom from God. I'm the wisest man who ever lived. I mean, the Queen of Sheba is coming to check out my wisdom. That's how amazing I am. I'll be fine. And yeah, I can marry. But you know what? Actually, I'll probably influence them more than the other way around. By the way, I don't know what Solomon thought, but I have to imagine it must have been stuff like that because the rest of the pattern of his life wasn't a man who rebelled against God. But look what happens. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not completely devoted to Yahweh, his God, like the heart of David, his father had been. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord fully as David, his father, had done. Solomon even built a high place for Shemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. 
I won't go into detail, but you can do a Wikipedia search on these gods and you'll see how disturbing it is. The violence, the degradation of human life, the destruction that Solomon brought, not only on himself, but actually on his society. As a result of this, the entire nation of Israel was divided in two uh, because of Solomon's actions. They had almost had a civil war, but just split up. And after that, things never really got better for, uh, for really either one of the, the sides of that. Because Solomon didn't take his own advice. Or who knows? Maybe he wrote Proverbs after seeing the advice that he should have taken. I don't know. Maybe that's the positive way to think about it, is that Proverbs was a man reflecting back and seeing how it had wrecked him and it wrecked his family and wrecked his nation. Because he thought that it didn't matter, the company that he kept. He thought that he could get away with it. He thought it'd be fine. But you notice what it says happened. He married these women. It says when he was old, which I think implies that he went a long time without anything bad happening. I wonder if that's how it went. That he marries a few of these women. It's fine. Not worse than the other gods. I know that's the rule for most people to not marry the foreign women who worship other gods, but that's not the rule for me. I can get away with it. It's no problem. But one day, at some point, it was too much for his heart to bear because that's how it works as a human being. You can't resist the influence of the people around you. The company you keep dictates the way you think. The way you think gets down not just into your mind, but down into your heart. And it turns your heart either closer toward God or it turns you to the gods of this world. And that's what happened to Solomon. Actually, what's even more tragic, you notice twice in this text, in this little story about Solomon, twice in the text it highlights that he was not wholly devoted to the Lord as his father David had been. Now that on one hand is just, he wasn't as good as his dad. And maybe that's all the point is. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I think there's a little uh, extra layer to this as far as how tragic it is that Solomon allowed the company he kept for him in terms of his, his marriages to turn his heart away from God. I want you to listen to what God wanted for Solomon and for all of David's sons. 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 7, beginning in verse 12. This is what God said to David, the father of Solomon, whose heart was completely devoted only to God and to no other gods. In 2 Samuel 7 and verse 12, the Lord said to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Obviously, this could be a prophecy about Solomon, what God would have wanted for Solomon, and it was. He shall build a house for my name. That actually happened. Solomon built a house for God's name. He built a temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. What a great promise. I mean, all this stuff about being a king forever, that sounds pretty good. But for God to say, yeah, yeah, I mean, David birthed you like David and David's wife birthed you. But you're my son. Like, I'm going to treat you like my only son. That's how I'm going to treat you. That's what was on the table for Solomon, to be God's son. And by the way, that's really what he was. That's why Solomon was so wise for so long, was because God was treating him like a son, because Solomon was devoted to the Lord and so this note in 1 Kings 11 where it says his heart wasn't devoted like David, it's not just he wasn't as good as his dad. See, he gave up 
the promise that God had made to his father. He gave up sonship to God. He gave up being a special servant. He gave all that up because of the company he kept that led his heart away to false gods. This is the real danger of the company we keep is that people are either going to orient us closer to God and more in line with him, or those people we make our closest companions, the people whose thoughts and ideals are the ones that we embrace, they're going to lead us to the gods that they believe in. That's what happened with Solomon. So much so that he wasn't just permissive, like, okay, babe, it's all right. Go ahead and worship the gods you're going to worship. I'm going to worship my God. You worship yours. No, he's, and he's not even just saying, well, you know, I'll go with you to worship your God. He's building the places of worship. You get it? He's so into this because of what these relationships had done to his heart. They led him away completely from his devotion to God. All right, so uh, what does this mean for us? I'm going to suggest two arenas that we need to be really, really mindful of and, uh, and cautious about, honestly, in terms of our relationships. Uh, let me back it up. Y'all remember what I said at the top? This kind of stuff, I think mean, we usually think of it as for kids, you know? Kids need to watch out for this. And it's true. For everybody who's in high school, junior high, younger, you got to watch out. Because it is a time in life when you're figuring out a lot of stuff kind of for the first time in your life. And so it's really easy to get caught up in bad influences. That's why Solomon, speaking to his son in the Proverbs, says, hey, watch out for this. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I just want to tell y'all, to all of us who are grown-ups, who feel very grown-up, like we can handle our own business and we can take care of ourselves, don't be arrogant like Solomon. Don't be arrogant. In two arenas in particular. One is in your workplace or your industry. You guys all know, we could, it would be actually a really fun exercise for everybody to sit around and say, hey, if you had to pick out the gods of your industry, what would those gods be? The gods of productivity and accomplishment and achievement. The gods of, uh, of self-exaltation, making people praise you for what you've uh, made happen. The gods of power, gods of greed. That's maybe the easy one we see. We love movies about all those greedy, horrible stock traders and all that kind of stuff. That's a very obvious god. Um, maybe the gods of self-expression. You know, there's some industries that that's what it's all about. You just express yourself. There's no boundaries to that. There's no limits to that. There's no guidelines. Just express yourself because that's kind of the thing. You get what I'm saying, right? And I don't know in your particular industry what God is. But every industry has those things in the world. Uh, and actually, we should say this too. Your job itself can become God. You know, some of you, that's, the, that's actually the, the God of your industry is the job. This is the thing fighting for or we're not even fighting for a cause we just think this is the most important thing everything else has to be subjugated to the job so however many hours you got to work whatever sacrifices you got to make this is it notice the language of worship sacrifice we say that you got to make whatever sacrifices you got to make now look we do have to make sacrifices to make a living to to work to be productive to do all the stuff that god wants us to do i'm not saying that's wrong what i'm saying is what's a really easy thing to have happen is to have us begin to believe that our job or the values of our job are the most important thing. Now, the way you can know this starts happening is whenever you start finding things that God says and you say, you know what, that's pretty good for most people, but I don't think that's for me. Or, you know, what? even for me, I should do that. I know I should, but 
in my case, in my situation, I can't do that right now. I mean, eventually I will. Watch out. Whenever they say, come with us, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You need to do this with us. You've got to say no. You've got to be willing to say, no, I, I can't violate the will of God. Because whenever you start violating the will of God, what's happening is you're making that job or the values of that job or whatever it may be of greater importance and priority than the will of God himself. Your heart is being drawn away to idols. How about another arena where it's easy for us to really get uh, have our minds, bad company, corrupt good morals, and then we partner ourselves with those who are worshiping false gods is in romantic relationships. How many times you guys seen this? Now, we have like silly versions of this, right? How many of y'all seen somebody, they fall in love and they change? That guy who used to dress like a normal person, now he dresses like some sort of Ken Barbie doll. You know what I'm talking about? That person who she used to be so whatever, you know, so not into whatever the thing is. And then she gets in a relationship and all of a sudden she's really into the thing with uh, with the man she's with. You know, remember there's a romantic comedy that my uh, uh, my sister in particular really loved. My sister's love. And, uh, and, you know, of course, this was uh, back in the dark ages. No YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So whatever's on the TV, if you're watching something, that's what you're watching. So I watched this movie probably a thousand times. It was probably five times, but it felt like a thousand times. But I remember the storyline of the movie is this woman she can never really uh, anchor down with one relationship. Uh, and she would kind of just bounce from every relationship. But then also it's weird because all the guys were shocked. So there's this reporter who was exploring the story. And at the end, uh, one thing he asked all the men, he said, hey, how did, how did she like her eggs? And every guy gave the same answer. She liked them, blah, 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 just like me. Because she was forming everything about herself to the individual that she was with. They had become her God. Now, and that is just a silly romantic comedy. And Julia Roberts and Richard Gere figured out by the end of oh, spoiler, but you guys knew that when you went into it. That's just the way it goes. And it's not that important. But you guys know that actually happens in important things in life, too. That the romantic relationships we enter into can shape our character. They shape the way we think. They shape the way we behave. They shape our other relationships. And in that way can lead our hearts either closer to God or further away. That is pretty clear. That's what happened with Solomon. Is these romantic relationships that he entered into drew his heart away from God and into the gods of this world. There's lots of other environments for me to think about, but I just want to challenge you to think about those two your workplace, and your romantic pursuits? What are the gods that those things might lead you into? And what do you need to do about it to avoid falling prey to those temptations? Back in Proverbs 1, you can see how all the bad behaviors would lead straight to idolatry. You know, those bad impulses, let's go, let's beat somebody up, let's exercise power. It's the God of self-satisfaction. Getting whatever you need for you to make you feel good about yourself. All the, the temptation of, hey, if we go and we beat these people, we're going to get a lot of stuff. Well, it's not just that we're getting a lot of stuff, but it's that we'll be worshiping the God of greed and the God of wealth. And of course, come with us, with us, be one of us. There's the God of acceptance, of being honored by people as, hey, you're one of us. You get the point, right? The company we keep impacts the way we think about the world. The way we think about the world will lead our hearts either closer to God or it'll lead us straight into idolatry. That's why Solomon says to his sons, they're setting themselves up because all those false gods, all they result in is darkness and destruction and confusion and all the bad stuff and nothing good. That's what Paul warned the Corinthians about. You remember that passage we read in 2 Corinthians 6? 
do not have fellowship with unbelievers? What's the reason? You are the temple of God. The temple of God shouldn't have idols in it. You can't be, you can't be with Christ and be with a false God. You gotta pick, you gotta choose which one you're gonna be with. All right, so let me do a quick timeout and I wanna present some uh, some questions that I think we should use to examine our relationships. What Solomon is not saying here, and what I'm not saying here, is that you shouldn't have friends and aren't Christians. Uh, I don't really know how you can be a Christian and not be friends with people that aren't Christians. We're supposed to be people of love, and to be a friend is to be somebody who loves. We love our neighbors as ourselves. So this is not about, oh, don't love people that are not Christians. Don't be friends with people that aren't Christians. That's not the point. But what this is saying is, Whenever your friends who aren't Christians are doing ungodly things, you don't go into that. You don't participate in that. You don't go in the path with them. That's what we're commanded to do in Scripture. You flee the temptations that come along with that. Jesus was a friend of sinners. It was pretty clear that if any of the sinners were doing sinner stuff, Jesus wasn't on that path. Jesus wasn't interested. And if we're going to follow after him in the way of wisdom, We've got to do the same. So here's some questions I want to I want to present to you. And there's probably more and maybe better ones. So I'd love for you to tell me so I can ask myself these questions and uh, whatever ones you want to add to it. But I just want to ask you to present some questions that you need to ask yourself in your relationships that I think will help us to uh, to avoid the danger of the way of the wicked. First questions. Oh, actually, can I say something else, too? In the Bible, wicked is anything that's not with God. We think wicked, like we all have a standard. If I said, what's a wicked person? We would all describe something. For me, it really makes me uncomfortable to read God's definition of wickedness. Because really wickedness is any kind of disobedience to God. Which is important for me to level up. That anything I do in disobedience to God, I'm walking in wickedness. And I need to repent right now. You know what I'm saying? So don't just think, oh, I don't hang out with wicked people. I don't hang out with any child traffickers or anything like that. So I'm fine. Look, here's the deal. The wicked, biblically, is anybody who's not walking God's way. And that's, that could be me, you, that is me whenever I behave an ungodly way. And what I need to do is repent. So, okay, I'm, I'm done now. Let, let, me, let me get to these questions that I keep talking about. Uh, okay, here it is. Do my closest companions do and encourage me to do righteousness, loving and obeying Christ? Or do they do and encourage me to do sin, evil, wickedness which one is it and you gotta be honest about this who are your closest companions and then you gotta keep it real like are they people who would do and encourage it doesn't mean they're perfectly following jesus i'm not perfectly following jesus what i'm talking about are they angling toward jesus are they walking in a way trying are they interested in the things of god are they like no thank you stay out of here second question this is one that hits me and makes me really shame i'll share an anecdote after i after i I read this do my worldly friends sense and do they even express a degree of separation, some measure of difference between me and them? Or do they just think we're the same? Remember that passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, we need to be perfecting holiness. You are holy. You are God's children, just like Solomon was a son of God or was meant to be. 2 Corinthians 6, that passage, you will be sons and daughters to me. We need to be perfecting that. We need to be different. And people are not in Christ. Not different in the sense of like, look how much better I am than you. That's not our attitude. Our attitude is look at God's love for me. You should have that too. Come on, get over here. That's what we're trying to do. But here's the deal. 
For those who are your worldly friends, colleagues, workmates, all that kind of stuff, do they sense and do they express a difference between you and them? Because if they don't, I might need to ask myself, am I really being a person who's walking in the way of wisdom or am I just walking along with my friends? Uh, I worked a job uh, summers through college and um, it was actually one I had in high school and then after college I did. And I remember, I think it was my sophomore year coming back. I worked with two guys, three of us, we worked maintenance and janitorial services and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and one of them, he pulled me aside after a couple of weeks of me being back on the job after being in school. He pulled me aside. He said, Hey man, you're different. I thought, yeah, Christian. So, you know, and I was like, really, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, I don't know. You're just more grown up and you're just more comfortable with us than you used to be, you know? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, whenever we crack open beers after work, stuff like that, you know, whenever we're talking about the boss, you're not quite as, you know, standoffish about some of that stuff as you used to be. I wasn't a jerk just trying to beat up people because they didn't hold the same values to me. But what he was telling me was, you're like us. You're walking our path. And that was a switch for me. I thought, man, I was doing a good job shining a light, but actually I was covering it right on up. They didn't detect any difference anymore between me and them, we were just walking the same way. And then I looked at my life, behaviors, attitudes I was developing. You don't have to be a jerk and talk to people all the time about how much you know better your lifestyle is than theirs and all that kind of stuff. But you ought to be living in a way as a follower of God that people who are close to you say, I can detect that. And I'm not living that way, but I see what you're doing. I see what you're about. Do they? Here's another question. Uh, this is more internal. Whose viewpoint serves as the baseline from which I examine all others? Uh, in other words, like whose advice or counsel or perspective do I seek when I'm in trouble? Uh, who gets the last word in my decision making? So whenever you're trying to make some kind of moral decision, does it go, you know, my friend said this, but God says that. And so I got to go with God. Or is it, I know the Bible says this, but, you know, all my friends have been telling me so and so. Whoever gets the last word in your thought process, and you guys, we've done this, probably all of us have at some point, but we've definitely heard it. I've definitely heard it, people who are not walking in righteousness. They'll say, yeah, yeah, I know what the Bible says. Or I know what the church people say, but here's what I think or I've experienced, or but here's what my friends say. You're not walking in the way of righteousness then. You may not be doing a lot of wicked stuff yet, but you're walking along the path. You're listening to these people who are worshiping other gods than our God. Who gets the last word in your decision-making? Two more questions. You're going out with some of your worldly friends because, again, we want to love our neighbors. We're not, we're not hermits. We're not people who say, I don't care about anybody else. I don't associate with anybody else ever on any level. But how about this? Would I be comfortable inviting the most godly person that I know to meet and spend time with my friends in the world? Would I feel comfortable with that? Or would you say, ah, oh, I don't really know how this is going to go if I invite so-and-so from church because I just think it would be too, you know, they're different. Well, if you wouldn't feel comfortable inviting them, why not? Now, I know sometimes some personalities don't mesh. I mean, there's all, you can come up with all kinds of reasons. But if your real reason is, I'm afraid that the ungodly and the godly don't go together, and I don't know how that would vibe. Well, then what are you doing there? 
in that environment. You get what I'm saying? What's going on? Like there, there should be no shame for us to have our ungodly friends be with our godly friends, our godly friends be with our ungodly friends, unless I'm actually kind of walking in that way anyhow. You get what I'm saying? All right, one more. Someone may say to all this stuff, and I think this is like, honestly, I feel this impulse a little bit too. Man, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus ate with the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Jesus was there. But what this is kind of saying is I'd be really cautious about those kind of relationships. I need to watch out, kind of keep a little bit of distance, at least in my heart. But that doesn't seem like Jesus. Okay, well, here it is. Yeah, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He ate with sinners. Do you remember what Jesus said he was doing when he was with the sinners, though? He said, I've come to call the sinners to repentance. All right, so here it is. Am I a friend like Jesus, a friend of sinners like Jesus? Being a light, being gracious and kind, but also exhorting repentance and love for God. In fact, am I really being like a friend of sinners like Jesus? Or am I really, I just want to use my like Jesus uh, tattoo and say, I'm good, I'm with Jesus. But really deep down in my heart, I'm a friend of sinners because I really just want to be like them. I don't want to be different. I don't want to stick out. You get the difference there? Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he was an actual friend, someone who loved sinners. And because he knew how great of a gift he had as a God's son, he offered that to everyone else. Come with me. That's why he was a friend. That's why he was there. He's like, I'm so thankful and happy about the stuff I got. I want everybody else to have it too. He wasn't hanging out there because he was hoping he could get away with some stuff, being away from the religious folks. What about me? Am I a friend of sinners like Jesus? Or my friend of sinners because I kind of actually still like to be one. I don't know if this is a warning for you or if it's a rebuke for you. This teaching from the wise father in Proverbs, the teaching from Paul to the Corinthians, the teaching from Jesus and his example that he gives to us. I don't know if it's a warning. Then let's take the warning seriously and be really mindful about the company we keep and what's going on with our relationships and how that's impacting our heart and lives. But if you're looking at yourself honestly and you're like, really, I'm kind of doing this. I'm walking in the way of sinners. Then take the rebuke seriously. Listen to our Father, God. Come out and be separate. Come out and be separate. Don't walk in the way anymore. I mean, that's the thing. This is actually kind of a simple solution if we're just willing to do it. That's the hard part is being willing and loving God so much that you say, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure I'm with him and I don't get swept away in the death and darkness and destruction of the way of the wicked. Come out and be separate. Since we have these great promises, let's purify ourselves from every defilement, sin, all the things of the flesh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God and living in his way, not in the way of darkness. And the beautiful thing is the reason path of righteousness grows brighter and brighter as Proverbs 4 says because it's the path that's taking us straight home to God the light